0: Good morning. Welcome. Glad all of you are here today on a beautiful, beautiful fall morning. Finally wore the flannel to match the fall. And I'm excited about the weather, but I'm more excited about being here together regardless of what the weather is like outside It has been such an encouraging season for our church, and I pray that you have been encouraged. I pray that you've been challenged as we've been going through the book of Galatians and been seeing what God actually has planned for us, what he actually wants from us and for us in this life, and being set free from a lot of things that would hold us down and would hold us back. And so last week we talked about our status, who we are We talked about how we are sons of God, and if we're sons of God, yes, even the ladies, if we're sons of God, then we are heirs of God in Christ. And that because we are heirs of God, because he loves us and because he has promised that we will spend eternity with with him, he's promised us that we'll be forgiven of our sins. Since he's promised that to us, we no longer have to look at God the rest of the way the world looks at God or maybe the way that you used to look at God as a judge in a, at the bench, waiting to dole out punishments to everyone. With the list of rules and the list of laws and just waiting to strike people down and give you your sentence, we don't have to look at God that way. Paul says that God sent the spirit of Christ into our hearts so that we can cry out to him, Abba, Father. We don't look at him as the judge on the bench. That's not what he is for us anymore. He is our good and loving father who is safe and we can trust that we can follow, that always wants what's best for us. And we can walk willingly, willfully with him in faith. And that's what God has planned for us, not legalistic living. And we had, man, what a great feeling that is to know that you're free we talked um, in our group this week. We had a long discussion about that and actually talked in, in, uh, just in our group, the, people, the, the actual people that are there and the dynamic there. We looked around and had several people comment about how great it is not only to be free, but to spend time with other believers who are also free, to feel connected in Christ as brothers and sisters in Christ. Not where we're judging each other, not where we're trying to put each other in our place, not where we're positioning and trying to figure out who's the holiest or who's the most faithful or who's the most spiritual, any of that, but just that we love each other and care for each other and we're all trying to be conformed into the image of Jesus. And what a freeing and fulfilling and incredible place that is to be. Not under the law, but in grace. And so we talked about how important that was to us in our group. And I hope that you have people like that. Maybe it's in a group here. Maybe it's another group of people in your life. But brothers and sisters in Christ who understand the freedom you have and encouraging each other to walk faithfully in it. And I looked around the room at one point during group and I saw just the individuals that were there. And I knew that every single person around that circle had committed their lives to Christ and was doing everything they could to be conformed into his image. And I looked at them and I said, hey guys, you don't need a rule book. You don't need a law. You're maturing in Christ of your own accord and the freedom that you have. So you don't need a rule book. In fact, you're going to rise to higher levels of holiness than the rule book could ever hold you to. You are free in Christ, so keep going in it. It was an incredible moment. It was an incredible time for us in group this week. That's what, as Paul is writing this letter to the churches that are in Galatia, the Christians in Galatia, that's what he wants them to experience. That's what he wants them to feel. He wants them to understand the freedom they have in Christ and not to get drawn back under the law or under some sort of religious system, which is what's happening to them. And it breaks Paul's heart to see that happening. To know that there is a way that God wants them to live and a freedom for them to walk in. But instead, they're allowing themselves to go back under that restrictive God on the bench with the gavel and delivering sentences mentality of God. And it breaks his heart to see that happen. He can't believe it's happening to him so quickly after he left, by the way, and shared this incredible news with him. And so as we continue reading, we're in Galatians chapter four. As we continue reading today and studying, I think you're going to see how personal this is for Paul said at the beginning of the series that this was probably Paul's most personal letter. Probably was his first letter that he wrote um, to churches. And so maybe he developed a little more um, emotional distance in the in the following letters. But in this one, his heart is on his sleeve and it breaks his heart to see what's happening with the Christians in Galatia. All right, so let's go um, to uh, chapter four, starting in verse eight. But then... Indeed, when you did not know God, you served those which by nature are not gods. But now, after you have known God, or rather, are known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid for you lest I have labored for you in vain. It's breaking his heart because they're going back to the old things, the things that don't work, the things that are weak and beggarly. Those are, that's what he says. Now, presumably in the Galatian churches, there are some Jews there. And for them, those former things would have been the law. That's what they lived under. All the rules, um, the, the feasts, the festivals, the sacrifices, the, all the circumcision, all the stuff that you had to do under the Old Testament law. The Jews would have been used to that. But most of the Christians in Galatia were not Jewish, did not grow up Jewish. They grew up as Gentiles. And growing up in that region, most likely they had been raised worshiping pagan gods. Think of Greek gods. Roman gods, the pantheon that they that they had, that would have been their uh, what they would have grown up with. So they would have worshipped people like Zeus, right, or Athena, or Jupiter, or Mars, all the planets, Titan, okay? <laughs> right, Laser, Ice, Turbo sky. <laughs> yeah, sorry, those are your American gladiators, but you get the point. They're not really gods, okay? That's why he says, that's why, and by the way, I just, I have it on the mind. I just watched the documentary on Netflix. It's not what you saw on TV, but anyway, um, got carried away. He said you were slaves to your gods, but they weren't really gods. <laughs> by nature, they were nothing. There's no substance to it. It was just an idea, a thing that people made up, and you enslaved yourself to them, to to what Zeus would want or what Athena would say or how they would judge you. And you would live your life afraid that Zeus was gonna throw a lightning bolt on you or whatever. For a Jew, it might've been God might smite you or whatever. You're going back to those old ways of thinking and they don't work. There's nothing to them. They can't do it. He said, you're going back to it. And God, what, what Paul's teaching them, God has set you free from that. He sets you free from that. You are sinful, and there's no way you could earn God's. There's no way you could keep the whole rule book and have a clean. You no way you could stand before God in a courtroom and declare yourself not guilty and be right. There's no way under these, you know, the gods of Zeus or they or any of those guys, there's no way that you could, you could try to follow all of their commands or as fickle as they were, and, you know, and, and be perfect in their sight. You couldn't do it. But God has planned something so much better for you and he's done something so much better for you. He sent his son Jesus here. And Jesus lived without sin and Jesus offered himself on the cross as a perfect sacrifice in your place. If you receive his grace through faith, if you believe that Jesus died on the cross and for your sin, he rose again on the third day, if you put your faith in Jesus for salvation, he will save you. And there is nothing you can do to earn that, not a single thing. And so we receive it through faith. And as much as that is true, it is as equally true that as you walk through your life, you are incapable of being good enough to keep that salvation on your, work, on your own as well. You can't keep it and you can't maintain your salvation any more than you could earn it in the first place. And so our salvation is maintained by the grace of God just as it was received by the grace of God. Of God, and that's the good news. And Paul, there's this little line in what he just read, he said, "Now that you have known God, or rather, you have been known by God." That is so beautiful, and for Paul, so personal. Because to be known in Scripture, when you see this term "to be known," it's more than just "Hey, I know you; you know me." To be known is to be personally and intimately in fellowship with. And so he's saying, now that you have, not only have you seen God, not only have you received God, God has received you. Why? Why would you go back to these things that don't work and will only lead you to frustration and shame and judgment and guilt and anxiety and fear? Why would you go back to that? Why would you go back to living that way and looking at God that way? It, it, makes, me think of, um, it makes me think of the nation of Israel right after they left Egypt. Okay, they were enslaved in Egypt for many, many years. And God delivers them, miraculously delivers them. The plagues, they get to the Red Sea and they're trapped and God parts the Red Sea. They're led by a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud. God does unbelievable things. And then they get out into the desert And things start to get a little tough. And what do they say? Let's go back. Let's go back. At least in Egypt we had food. At least in Egypt we had this. At least in Egypt. And they want to leave the freedom that they have. And they want to go back to slavery. What in the world would possess someone to want to do that? I think it's the same things. That possess us, when we have freedom in Christ, to want to go back under the slavery of the law or a religious system. Because back in Egypt, it's safe, ish. Back in Egypt, we know what to expect. Back in Egypt, we know how everything works. Back in Egypt, we know exactly what the next day holds. Back in Egypt, we know exactly where we stand. Freedom is scary. Freedom is scary. It scares Christians. Because when you teach that you're free and you're no longer under the law, that's not what dictates your relationship with God, then people say, w- 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 What do we do? W- won't everybody just go and sin all that they want? Won't it just be chaos? How do I know how to follow God? How do I know how to live for God? I understand rules, I get rules. And black and white, that makes sense to me. As much as I might not like them, I get them. And it feels safe and it feels known. Freedom is much scarier. And actually, Dennis um, Welch made an awesome point in our group this week. He said freedom actually doesn't exist. <laughs> he, said, he said, the thing we call freedom is actually just the swapping of things. So I'm trading control from someone else for responsibility. I'm just swapping things. The same things still need to get done. But we're, we're swapping the responsibility from one place to another. So that's what this freedom is that we have in Christ. All right? We're stepping out from under the law, out from under the rules, out from under the regulations. But we're stepping into a new space of, of responsibility where he still wants us to be holy. He still wants us to become like Christ. He still wants to accomplish that in our life, but it doesn't happen under the system of rules and responsibility that's required. It happens in the responsibility that I personally take, and I say, I am going to become like Christ in the power of the Spirit, and I'm gonna walk forward to that. But that's scary. Because honestly, let's let's be honest. If we don't have a system of rules, not only how do I know what to do, here's the real thing for a lot of us, how do I judge what other people are doing? Freedom is scary. But, he, but Paul is saying, why, now that you have this freedom, why in the world would you go back to Egypt? Why in the world would you go back to the law? Why would you go back to this religious system and live this way and think this way and process this way? It is, it is breaking Paul's heart. He says, he says, I fear for you. I fear that I may have labored for you in vain. Paul, when he showed up in Galatia, he was in a really rough spot. We're going to read about that in a second. He was in a really bad place personally. And he kind of he wasn't really planning to go there, but he ended up there because of his situation. And while he was there, he poured out his heart and his life and what he knew and what God had revealed to him. He had poured out this truth to him like a father with children. He, he actually uses birth language as he goes through here. Like, I birthed you. And I taught you this and I showed you this and I thought you had it. And now that I leave, shortly after I leave, I find out you're going back to this old stuff because these people have come in and told you, yes, it's faith in Jesus, but you also have to get circumcised and you also have to observe the Sabbath and you also have to tithe and you also have to observe all the feasts and the festivals. And the he says, what does he say? Uh, the, the moons and all that, all that kind of stuff. Days and months and seasons and years, so like the Sabbath. And they observed, the Jews observed the new moon and the, the, the seasons like Passover and, and uh, years like the year of Jubilee and the sabbatic year and all that. So you going back to all that stuff. Did I waste my time with you? Not in regards to their, their salvation before God. They're, they're, sab- they're, they're justified before God. But did I waste my time teaching you about this freedom? Because you're just going to go back to this. I tried to instill something in you. And you just rejected it. And now the, 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 the people that are there, the Judaizers that are there, what they're saying to the people in Galatia is, Paul isn't really your friend. He's not even really an apostle. In fact, they're saying that Paul is their enemy because he's trying to keep them from what they're supposed to be doing. And that hurts Paul personally. I labored for you. I, I, as a parent, I understand this kind of feeling. As a parent, you pour your life and your heart and your soul into your kids. You give them so much of yourself, and you sacrifice and give up many things about your entire life just for your kids. And I didn't understand that when I was a child. I understand it now that I'm a parent. I took it for granted when I was a child. I understand it now as a parent. Kids, I know this is hard for you, but try not to take that for granted how much your parents love you, how much they've sacrificed for you, what they're trying to do in your life so that you can have a, a faithful and successful life. They're doing that for you. And they're giving up all kinds of things for you. JD, just want you to hear that. <laughs> I got a thumbs up. It's cute. But as a parent, you understand that you pour your life and, and have your child, and some of you have older children maybe that have, that, have, that have done this even more vehemently, but to pour your life into your child and then have them reject you or to say that they hate you or that they don't appreciate you or they don't like this thing that you sacrificed to give them or whatever it is, that hurts you on a level that's hard to describe. And so, because you made yourself so vulnerable with your kids. And Paul feels that way about the Christians that are in Galatia he's like, I poured my life out to you. I poured the truth out to you. I gave you the greatest thing that you could possibly receive. Not Paul, but the gospel message. I gave this to you, and this so quickly you're rejecting it or looking at me as an enemy? Why? Why would you do that? It hurts. So he says in verse 12, I urge you to become like me, for I became like you. Now, in this, I think what he's saying is, I was a Jew, and I gave up the law so that I could minister to you. Don't you go back to the law. You, stay, you 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 give it up as well in this point. Become like me. You have not injured me at all, okay? And this doesn't mean physically. It means wronged. You've not wronged me at all. You know, and he's going to tell the story. He's gonna, He's going to draw their memory back to when he was there. You know that because of physical infirmity, I preached the gospel to you at first. And my trial, which was in my flesh, you did not despise or reject. But you received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. What then was the blessing you enjoyed? Remember remember the blessing? Remember what we experienced together? For I bear you witness that, if possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. Have I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? This hurts Paul. It hurts him personally. And he's, make, he's made the whole argument, he's made the, 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 the theological argument, and he's talked through the Old Testament scriptures, and he's done all of that. And as he's kind of closing this piece, he's getting ready to turn the corner into talking about what we do now in the freedom that we have, and that's what we'll spend the rest of the series on. He's getting ready to turn the corner, and he's finishing with a very personal question for them: "How could you do this?" It hurts him personally. This is not just business. When Paul showed up, he says he showed up because of a physical infirmity, which means he had some sort of injury or some sort of sickness that diverted his course and made him land in Galatia for a period of to the, in this region for a period of time, to heal, to rest, to recover. What, what was he dealing with? We don't know. And I'll tell you, as I was, as I was studying and reading through uh, tons of commentaries and other things this week, um, as I was studying, Like Everybody wants to talk about what it was. (laughs) And everybody has a theory on what it was. The truth is, it doesn't say what it was. We don't know. I am going to posit some guesses here in a second, (laughs) just for interest's sake. But we don't know. And it doesn't really matter. Um, Everyone wants to take a stab. But what he's saying is, I had this issue, and you saw past it. So this issue, um, my my best guess, and this is just... Based on the context of what we read, it had something to do with his eyes. Paul consistently had issues with his eyes. And um, in fact, at the end of Galatians, we'll get to this eventually. At the end of Galatians, he says, look, I wrote this by myself, all by myself. (laughs) And look what big letters I wrote it in. And he had to write in big letters, presumably because he couldn't see very well. Now, what this eye issue was, we're aren't 100%. Um, sure, I think it's probably when he talks um, in elsewhere in Scripture about the thorn in his flesh that he asked God to remove, and God said, my grace is sufficient for you. I think that's probably the same thing. Uh, it's an ongoing issue. Um, so when, he, when Paul was converted, we talked about this at the beginning of the series, when Paul was converted, God blinded him on the road to Damascus, and he was blind for a few days before he goes um, to a house, and then God gives him his sight back, and the Scripture tells us that something like scales fall from his eyes, and he received his sight back. But it's possible that Paul had some sort of nagging thing or some sort of condition through the rest of his ministry as a result of that. It's possible he was healed completely in that moment. It's also possible that he was left with some scarring or with a visual issue where he couldn't see very well. Uh, that, That could have been it. Um, They say that, the historians say that in the region that he came from before he went to Galatia, at this time there was a particular strain of malaria that was going through, which was causing eyesight issues and actually people's eyes to get filled with pus, as gross as that is. But it's possible that Paul had to leave where he was and come to this area because he had contracted malaria and that he had this going on with his eyes. Um, Or it's possible by this point in his ministry, Paul has been beaten almost to death. And it's possible that he has scarring or visual issues from the beatings that he took but either way the the point is he not only has trouble seeing but he's hard to look at he's hard to look at because of whatever is happening with his face and he said when I came to you even in the condition that I came to you as ugly and beaten or as, as as sick as I was or whatever it was you saw past that and you saw the truth And when you heard the truth, you knew it was the truth, and you accepted the truth, and you accepted me. You accepted me as if I were an angel from God or Jesus Christ, regardless of what was going on. Do you remember how sweet that was? Do you remember how incredible that was when we were experiencing that together? And now you're just gonna walk away from it? You're gonna let these people tell you that I'm your enemy? You know that's not true. They're they're looking, they're looking at, these people came in, these Judaizers came in, and what they're telling the Galatians is, Paul, Paul's not telling you the whole truth. He's not telling you the whole truth. He's just, he's, he's trying to, he's trying to elevate himself. He's not telling you the whole truth. He's just trying to hold you back. What you really need to do is listen to us. And we'll show you the right way to honor God. We'll show you the right way to do this. Did he really tell you that? Did God really tell Paul that? Now this phrase, think about this. Think about this deception for a second. Did God really say that? He's just trying to hold you back. Does it sound familiar? That's what Satan said to Eve in the Garden of Eden. Did God really say that? He's just trying to hold you back. They're using the same deception that Satan himself used. And here's what Paul, here's what Paul wants them to do. He wants them to hold up what the Judaizers are saying and hold up what he's saying and say, What is the truth? And he wants them to hold the Judaizers themselves up and to hold Paul up and say, Who can I trust? Because this is what really breaks Paul's heart. He knows the heart of the Judaizers that have come in and that are deceiving them. And he knows that it's no good. He knows that their motivations are wrong. And it sickens him to think that the Galatians have been deceived by this. This is what he says in verse 17. They zealously court you, but for no good. They want to exclude you, that you may be zealous for them. Here's what they're doing. They are building a pedestal for themselves that you aren't allowed on. They are creating a rule book and a law, or they're t- taking the old law and they're t- trying to put you under it so that they can stand on it and they can stand over you. That's what they're trying to do. They're not in it for you and for the truth and for what's best. They're in it for themselves. And he needs the Galatians to see that. This is really what he's doing. And this is a big piece of the book, this book, this letter. He is trying to teach them discernment. The ability to look at something and say, is that true or not? Can I trust that person or not? They need that desperately because there's a lot of confusion and a lot of different ideas being thrown around. They have to be able to do that. Hold me up. This is what he's saying. Hold me up against those other teachers and tell me who you can trust. And as much as the Galatians needed discernment then, today, we need discernment as much, if not more, than they did. Because we are inundated with other people's ideas constantly. Constantly, Particularly those of you, now all you got to do is turn on the TV to a news channel and you got it right in front of you. Most of us, we were doing social media stuff, whether it's your, you know, Instagram reels or TikTok or Facebook, whatever, whatever X, whatever social media you may do or, or be on. You have other people's ideas coming at you all the time. And you have to be able to hold those ideas up as a Christian to the word of God and say, is that true or not? And you have to be able to hold that person up against someone like Paul or someone you trust and say, can I trust this person? What are their motives? Are they doing this because it's what is going to lead me towards someone who's trying to, an influencer, who's trying to influence me? Is Is it to pull me closer to Christ or is it to build their platform? And I hate to, the bearer of bad news, but most people that you see putting themselves on a platform, as I stand on a platform, and who put themselves on that kind of platform, most <laughs> are doing it to build it, to get subscribers, to get influence, to get followers, to get more engagements to speak, to sell books, to sell ideas, to, to market themselves, or whatever it may be. Be careful in order to, and, and by the way, hold me up against this too. Feel free, I welcome you to do it. Is this the truth and can we trust them? Hold me up against it too. First of all, when you'll talk more about this in your groups this week, this, I really want you to spend some more time here discussing what this looks like in your group this week. Um, to know what the truth is, we have to know the truth. Amen. To know what a lie is, you got to know the truth. So the more time that we spend in Scripture, the more we're going to be able to discern what is, what is true and what is not true. It's very, very important. This is one of the reasons it's so important for us to know Scripture, to read Scripture, to internalize Scripture, to memorize Scripture, is so that you know a lie when you see it. But that takes time, and we're all at different points on, on that, in that process. Some of you are just starting off. Some of you know the Scripture really, really well, and that's incredible. That allows you to filter all this stuff. But some of you may be just starting out, and you don't know it as well, and you're working on it, but it's going to take you time. And then we have to have sources that we trust. Be very careful about the sources you listen to. If it's somebody that you don't know, that you that you you don't know the background of or the heart of or the history of, and you're going to take something in that is going to be formative for you, take a minute to check that person out and make sure that the source is reliable and that you can trust them. And they're not some... Uh, I I'm, I don't know if I told this story before, but I was... I was watching, I'm scrolling TikTok, and I saw this video. Um, and this is coming off the top of my head, so I don't really remember what the content of the video was. But what they said was, um, some, it was something about the Old Testament covenant and the blood sacrifice and whatever. And it's just like I was like, it was like a totally new idea to me and totally changed the way that I thought about the, the covenant and the sacrifice. And I was like, whoa, that's incredible. And so then I was like, but you know what? And I was about to share it with somebody, and uh, I was like, you know what? Let me just check. Let me just check that out real quick. And I went to look it up, and as it turns out, no. <laughs> totally untrue. No, no no, basis in factual evidence whatsoever. This person just said it on a podcast, and all of a sudden it's fact. Right? And because they look influential, because they look legit, because they got a nice camera and they're sitting behind a nice microphone or whatever it may be, all of a sudden I'm going to give them authority in my life. No, no, we can't. we can't do that. We shouldn't do that. We need to develop discernment. To, to know when somebody's heart and motivation isn't right or to know when it is untrue. And it's all over the place out there. A couple of things in particular that I think is so important for us to develop discernment. This is one of the key, key skills we need to learn today. Some of the couple of things we need to be on the lookout for. We need to be lo- on the lookout. You will see this in legalistic teaching people that are trying to take Christians and place them back under either the law proper or a new version of the law that we've created for the church. Watch out for legalistic teaching. Now, some of the symptoms or some of the signs of this, you're gonna see people banging on pulpits, okay? (laughs) Shouting about people's sins and saying God hates this and God hates that. And while admittedly it can be entertaining to watch, (laughs) the sad thing is, People are buying it, hook, line, and sinker. And they are selling to people a God of judgment and vengeance and wrath instead of Abba Father. Got to watch out for it. They're saying, here are the rules. And if you do them, you're good. Good luck doing them, by the way. And if you don't do them, God doesn't love you, or God hates you, or you aren't saved. What they're doing is they are using the word of God improperly as a ruler to measure people's worth of the gospel. Well, I'll go ahead and tell you, we're not worthy of the gospel. It's a gift of grace. So, yeah, I don't meet those conditions. I don't meet those requirements. And they're using the scripture as a club to try and enforce obedience. And to beat people down and in beating people down, they lift themselves up on a platform and a pedestal. It's gross. It's gross. So watch out for it. It is not scriptural. It's not biblical. So you got to ask the question, what are they doing? Is it in my best interest? Since they're the one who's teaching me, they're the one who's influencing me. Is this what's in my best interest in following Christ? What is their goal? And can I trust them? It could be something like that. The other thing, it could be sort of on the other side of the pendulum, not legalistic teaching, but it could be a very charismatic leader. I'm not talking about that in like the denominational sense or the way people categorize, not that. But somebody who puts themselves in front of us with a ton of charisma and they're just, they're slick and they've got great production teams and social media marketing teams. The graphics are nice. The camera is nice. Their hair is just right. They're wearing exactly the right clothes. And boy, boy, can they wow a crowd. I mean, impressive. I was having a conversation um, recently with someone about a, a pastor, very well-known pastor, and they were wanting to get my thoughts on them. Um, and I didn't share my thoughts on them because I don't talk about pastors by name like that. Try not to do it. But I was, um, while I was trying to, you know, change the subject in my head, um, I have thoughts about this pastor. I have thoughts about their motivations and, and how they teach and the strategies and all the things that they do. Um, and by the way, I'm not going to tell you who this pastor is. Even if you come to me afterwards and you're like, is it? <laughs> no, I'm just going to look at you judgingly. All right, now we'll think less of you. Um, <laughs> don't do it. Just don't put me in the position. All right, because I don't want to. But, but I, think the, I think the principle is important. And so we were having this conversation. I was having these ideas about this person. And I thought, you know what, I haven't listened to one of their messages in a long time. I, I, I'm i going off of old information, old assumptions that I have. So maybe they've changed. Maybe they've grown. Maybe, I, I don't know. And so, and I don't want to have these feelings about this person if it's not accurate. So I said, I'm going to listen to three of their messages. That's what I'm going to do. And so I went and I downloaded the three most recent messages. Didn't want to like pick anything out. Just the three most recent messages. And I listened to them. And first of all, let me tell you something. This person, like, one of the best communicators I've ever heard in my entire life. Unbelievable. Their their ability, and I'm I'm jealous of this in a lot of ways, their ability to string ideas together and go from one thing to another and transition. Their ability to oh the storytelling the way they told stories was I mean I don't know what the word is. in, and raptivating. I don't know. I, that's not a word. I'm, I'm blending multiple words together, sorry. It was uh, enthralling. I mean, just like, like it pulled me right into the story. The, the way that they, the way they created tension, they created tension and then released that tension. The way they built the energy so that people were like swirled up and encouraged and excited. And I was blown away by that. It was unbelievable. Their ability to phrase things was so captivating. But there's a big problem. What they said wasn't true. There was literally a point, I'm, I'm listening to this in my truck, and uh, there was one point where the, 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 the pastor made a point, and I yelled out loud at the top of my lungs, that's not true! <laughs> I, was, I was so upset at that point, thinking about the fact this person influences thousands upon thousands of people. I'm like, that's not what the scripture says. And they used scripture, but it was clear that they had a predetermined idea of what they wanted to say, and then they found scriptures that would help them say what they wanted to say. That's exactly what was happening. It, was, it wasn't true. And it was misleading all of these believers. Not that they're not saved. This church does an incredible job, I believe, of leading people to faith in Christ and then people accepting Christ. And I think that's awesome. But now they're taking believers and they're leading them down this wrong path. And it's sad is what it is. It's sad. And so you got to watch out for, you got to watch out for slick, pres- not that good presentation is a bad thing, I hope I do all right. But but when when slick presentation or charisma or trendiness or excitement or energy or any of those, the wow, when when that is masking untruth, you can't trust that. So we have to be able, to, all that stuff's great, but we have to be able to see past it. We need to see past the beauty that might be on the surface, just like The Galatians needed to see past the ugliness that was on the surface when Paul came to them so that we look past all of that and we see the truth. And like I said, you need to run me through this filter as well. And listen, and I want you to know that you may look on TV or you may look on social media and you may see these two big ends of the spectrum going on, but you need to know that the vast majority of Christian teachers and the vast majority of people who are in ministry and trying to influence and lead people have pure hearts. They have clean motives. They're doing it for the people that are there because they want to bring honor and glory to God. And we may disagree on things, but they are truly chasing after the truth and what's in the best interest of the people that they're leading. So don't be, don't get, don't get jaded. By all of that that's out there, that's so visible. But these people who are faithfully doing ministry with people consistently and being true, as as true as they can, as true as they know how to the word of God, they're just not good TV. So they don't get the airtime. But seek them out. Seek them out because they're people that you can trust. So you need to know the scripture as well as you can to develop discernment. And you also need to make sure that where, where there are gaps and where you don't know that you have people that you trust fully. All right, verse eighteen. But it is good to be zealous in a good thing always. So he's like the passion that that's not the problem. All right, only if it's a good thing and if it's true. It is good to be zealous in a good thing always, and not only when I am present with you. So. Pause for a second. Well, Paul, I think what Paul is saying is, I want you to be passionate for the truth, <laughs> not for this legalism and this, other, this stuff that they're doing. I want you to be passionate about the truth and not just when I'm with you. I wish you had been passionate while I was gone and stood up for this so these people wouldn't have come in and deceived you. If you'd been zealous for it, then this wouldn't have happened. Verse 19. My little children, for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you, I would like to be present with you now and to change my tone, for I have doubts about you. And you can hear his disappointment. He's like, we got to start all over. we got to start all over and relay this foundation. That's what Galatians is, laying that foundation. We need to relay this foundation. And he said, I wish I was with you. I'm, I'm, I'm upset. I'm confused. I'm concerned about you. All right. And you remember, Paul is writing this as a letter and he's putting it into the hands of somebody else, and that person is taking it to the Galatians, and then that's gonna be read to the Galatians and they're gonna pass it around in the churches. And so, Paul, when he's writing this, he doesn't know what's gonna happen. He's saying, I love you, and I'm concerned for you, and I've heard that you're off course and that you're buying all this stuff, and so I'm pouring all this into this letter and I'm sending it to you, and I wish I was with you. I wish I could see your faces, I wish I could see your reactions. I wish I could know, I wish I could have the confidence right now to know that you're going to take this seriously and that you're going to change and that you're going to step out from under the law and stand in the freedom that you have in Christ. But Paul doesn't know. (laughs) He doesn't know if they will. And you can see his heart and his passion and his love for them in that. He says, basically, we got to start all over. Because any maturity that you had developed in the spirit You've now lost because you've gone back to this. As I was uh, studying this week, I read from Warren Weersby. he said, one of the great tragedies of legalism is that it gives the appearance of spiritual maturity when in reality it lead, leads the believer back into a second childhood of Christian experience. God wants us to mature. And so we're not going to do that. We're not, at you and me, we are not going to be drawn, we are free in Christ and we are not going to be drawn back into legalism. We're not going to be drawn back into a religious system that says this person's in and this person's out. We are going to stand in the faith and the confidence that we have in the truth that we are saved not by our works. Our salvation is maintained not by our works, but by the grace of God and the grace of God alone. And that our relationship with God, our walk with God, is also not dictated by a list of rules. But our walk with God is dictated by our personal responsibility and taking ownership over our spiritual maturity, knowing that the Spirit is leading us and guiding us and changing us and walking as closely into the image of Jesus as we can possibly walk by our own free will. Not because we are forced to, but because we choose to. Because God is so good, and he is so loving, and he is our father, and he has saved us, and we will spend eternity with him, and we're getting ready for that now. And so we will not go back into legalism. We will learn how to walk in our freedom, and we will choose in the freedom we have to serve Christ. Now, how do we do that when we don't have a list of rules? Because I know there are some in here that are rule followers. And you, (laughs) I knew you were already going to come up here and say it. People (laughs) who, yeah, no, I'm not going to say it, right. Um, Who love rules, who love systems. It's okay to put the systems and rules in place for us as long as we have the right mentality, right? And as long as we're not applying things to other people that shouldn't be applied to other people. So how do we walk in that? And that's where Paul is turning the corner to do for the Galatians in this. We have one more week of him talking about the law. And then he's going to say, okay, now in this freedom, where do we go? What do we do? What does that look like? And that is going to be tremendously freeing for us because maybe you've been asking that question. Like, all right, the horse is sufficiently dead. We dismount, all right? The law, religion, we know that's not it. So what do we do now? How do we move forward? We're going to be talking about that. And I think that is going to be tremendously freeing for all of us as we learn it together, all right? Let's go to our father now and thank him for this freedom. Make the commitments we need to make today. Father, we love you so much and we thank you for your grace and your goodness. You are so good. We know that we are sinful. We recognize that truth and that we have fallen short of your glory, fallen short of your standard. And we know that we are totally incapable of saving ourselves. Yet in your kindness and in your mercy, you sent your son, Jesus. Jesus gave his life on the cross and he rose again on the third day, offering us life by your grace, through faith in Christ. And so, Father, I pray that that those of us that made that decision a long time ago, that it would be renewed again today, strengthened and again in us today, reminded in us today. I pray that if there's anybody here who has spent their entire life trying to save themselves or looking for some religious system that was going to do it, if they could just say this many, you know, phrases, this many prayers, if they could give this much money, if they could keep this standard, if they could go through this person to make their way to heaven, if they could be good enough, not be bad enough, whatever they've been trying to do, you would show them right now in this moment, as difficult as it is to face, that all of that is weary, beggarly, as Paul puts it. It's hopeless. And it can't do what it promises. That somebody today might realize for the first time all of their self-effort. It's like a hamster in a wheel. It's accomplishing nothing. And that the only way to be made right before you, the way, the truth, and the life is Jesus Christ. And that today, in this moment, they would put their faith in Jesus. In his death on their behalf, in his resurrection, securing life. They would put their faith in Jesus right now. And receive your grace. And that that would be a foundation on which they stand the rest of their life as they choose now to follow you. With us that made that decision a long time ago, as we choose to follow you, as we choose to serve you, as we choose to sacrifice for you, as we choose to be transformed into the image of your son. And to know that we don't do that alone. It isn't even really our effort that we stand on for that. but you have sent your spirit to our heart and that he is with us at all times showing us what the image of Jesus looks like, showing us what your will, Father, is in Scripture. We understand just because we're not under a legal system doesn't mean that sin doesn't exist anymore. You are showing us, you're using Scripture to show us what it looks like to walk in your will and in your desire. You're using the Spirit to teach us in between the lines, in between the words, what it means to be holy, You're helping us to see what Jesus' life really looks like, what his heart looks like, the kinds of things that you want us to embrace and walk in, that you want us to be kind and you want us to be merciful, that you want us to be gracious and that you want us to be generous, that you want us to be thoughtful and considerate, that you want us to worship, that you want us to give our lives, not only for you, but for others to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, to love our neighbor as ourself. You're teaching us what that looks like. And you're drawing us to a far higher level of holiness than the restriction of a law or rule book could ever hold us. And so we open ourselves up to that today, God. And as and as a first step, or as a second step, having already trusted Christ, as a second step, We say to you, Father, in the freedom we have, we will follow you. We will pursue Christ. We will walk in the spirit. So that you can transform us at a heart, at a soul level into who you desire us to be. And so continue this process of transformation in us. I pray, God, today that whether it's right now or in the time that we spent, that you would show us where in our life we are still sinning, where we are living and walking outside of your will. And then in this moment, we commit to you to listen to you, to believe you to trust you, to ask you to forgive us our sins and to ask you to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Change it in us. And Father, we want you to know that we do all of that out of the love that we have for you. That we're looking forward, Christ, to the day when you will return and you will reign. We prepare for that day. And for now, in this world, as we wait, we put you on the throne of our heart. We ask you to lead us. We ask you to change us and transform us. And as we do that, we pray that all honor and all glory returns to you. We deserve none of it. All honor and praise and glory to you and to your name. We love you. Amen.